Baltimore, Maryland. Havoc. Chaos in the streets. This is Noxo. Case Files of Joshua Chambers. A crime drama set in the heinous world of the Dark Charm universe. I-295, Baltimore Washington Parkway. I made my way through traffic, the people shooting at me seeming to be bolder than I thought. They showed no care for anyone else, as some of them were hit by gunfire. I was finally able to get to the shoulder of the road and put my pebble to the metal. Put on my lights and siren as my Escalade needed to get out of the way of innocents still on the road. Roads were already shitty, so the traffic started to jam with extra cars on the road trying to pay attention. These assholes behind me were on me like a dog on his favorite bone. With the freezing rain turning to outright sleet, I needed distance. My back passenger tire popped out as I skidded into the grass median. Looks like the one of their bullets hit their mark. Thank God there was an island between the parts of the road, or I would have killed someone in oncoming traffic for sure. I put the car into park and ducked behind the dashboard at first, then made my way out of the escalator as the other cars came over the median. I pulled my piece and began firing at them myself. To my horror, they didn't even bother to stop as they headed toward me full speed. I drove out of the way just in time for them to barrel into Karen's Escalade. When I realized I no longer had the protection needed to continue a firefight, I ran into the woods. I could hear the guys coming out of the car and they ran after me. I got a little farther away from the main highway and was out in the clear as my shoes landed in a bog. I felt my ankle twist and belly flop mm. downward, mm. smearing myself in the semi-frozen bog mm. water. Mm. The only thing I could do was stay prone and fire. Oh, fuck. Sadly, my gun was wet and covered in gunk as they kept coming, as they raised their pistols to me. I figuratively kissed my ass goodbye as I ducked my face in my soggy wet sleeves. I smelled the cordite of the pistols. I heard the gunfire and even smelled a little... brimstone? I looked up to find out why I wasn't dead, and I saw it. Standing between me and my attackers was an angel with raven's wings. His dark hair flowed down to his shoulders as the bullets fired hovered in midair. My assailants were flabbergasted as they continued firing, but this time at the angel and not me. None of the bullets met their mark. You're just wasting bullets. The voice sounded familiar. Remail? This was not the gothic kid I had met in my apartment. This was his true form, and it was indescribable. His dark charcoal gray robes went well with his black wings. I saw the bullets fall to the ground motionless, as if all of the air came out of them like balloons. They pulled knives instead and charged the angel. 
Remiel caught the arm of one of the assailants and threw him into the bog. The other slashed at his face, cutting a gash down his cheek. It healed almost immediately as he lifted the guy up in the air with one hand. You have one last chance. Get out now. If you attack again, I will not be merciful. Needless to say, he didn't listen as he kicked him in the chest. Ramiel took his flesh in his hands as a cold black color. I saw the man, body, clothing, and all, came to nothing right in front of me. His screams of pain echoed and died out of darkness. From dirt and ash you came. From dirt and ash you will return. The man in the bog began to stir, but was obviously incapacitated. There's your witness. Remiel said to me as I tried to stand up. I was hurt, but I was going to live. Miraculously. Thanks to this angel of death. Thank you, I muttered in a complete mixture of wonder and fear. I began to hear the sirens of what could possibly be the Anne Arundel County Police as Remiel just nodded his head. He leapt into the air and disappeared into the ether without a trace. began to hear the sounds of A.A. County's finest looking for me. I shouted to them, Over here! After I got patched up at Baltimore Washington Medical Center, I broke my fucking ankle, by the way. The guy Remiel left behind was apparently part of her security team. He had an interesting blue tattoo on his right wrist. It was two 90-degree angles intersecting in a circle with what looked like the sun in the middle. I'd never seen someone with that particular tattoo before, and it was particularly interesting. The backstory given to the police by Kuduviste was that they were supposed to escort me out of Praxis's premises, but that these soldiers took it upon themselves to shoot at me and cause me to have my injuries. As they couldn't find the body of one of the assailants, thanks to Remiel, they charged the other guy with reckless endangerment, manslaughter, and the attempted murder of an officer of the law. Praxis released a statement soon after further diverting themselves from their employees' activity. Bullshit. They wanted me dead and can't very well congratulate them on a job not completed. As I was exiting out of the hospital on my crutch, I got another phone call from Sergeant Brady. Major Smith wanted to see me tomorrow morning first thing. I was summoned back to my home precinct. Apparently going out of county lines and jurisdiction was a problem. Major Gerald Smith, a high-ranking member of the Judiciary Board, had a bullseye on me. He stared at me for probably three straight minutes without even asking a question. It was a bit unnerving. It was then that I saw the reason why. Vern Garvey walked into the office and sat next to Major Smith and across from me. Captain Chambers, it seems you're becoming a frequent visitor to IAB. I stared coldly at him, knowing how much of a snake he really was. Don't I get a union representative for this interrogation? I am. You're not in any type of admonishment currently, Captain, but this is merely an interview. An inquiry to your actions recently as they... Puzzle us. He lifted a brand new briefcase off of the floor and opened it. But instead of pulling out one of those hypnotic doohickeys from last time, he pulled out folders and a gold-dipped pen. I felt myself just asking the question, Buy gold? He squinted at me. Excuse me, Captain? 
Why is your pen gold? Is it a reward from your handlers because of all the people you've buried? Major Smith finally broke his silence. That's uncalled for, Captain. You would do best to comply with this inquiry and keep your opinions to yourself. Tony Garvey turned toward Major Smith and put up a hand. It's okay, Major. I have nothing to hide. I started laughing almost hysterically. <laughs> What's so funny, Captain Chambers? Major Smith said, getting perturbed at my demeanor. I decided to play their little game. I kept my mouth shut. Nothing. Just had a few rough nights at home. Please go ahead and ask your questions. Before Byrne opened his mealy-wormed mouth, I saw something that shocked me. On the right wrist of Major Smith was the exact same tattoo I found on the guy that tried to kill me. My face went pale. Apparently it was noticeable. Are you okay, Captain? I realized they asked a question and I spaced out. Excuse me? Well, I asked a question and you looked as though you were going to get sick. I'm sorry, what was the question? I had to flush all that away. I had to protect myself and get out of there so I could research later. I asked you how you came across the Joshua Highlander case. It was a cold case on file, and it seemed to be attached to the 8x10 Club murders. After we were cleared from investigating that... You weren't cleared! You were removed! I ignored Major Smith. We felt that even though the 8x10 murders were off-limits, we had new information that the Joshua Highlander Warren Cudaviste case had new facets open up. What new facets? We found a letter at the scene of the crime. I lied. Which letter? I needed to pull something out of my ass to protect myself. I don't have it anymore. It was destroyed when I was in chase with the Praxis security team. Major Smith and Vern Garvey looked at each other, and then back to me. What did you and Miranda Cudaviste discuss in your meeting? As it was public record, I could tell the truth here. Only that they were together before he killed Warren Cudabiste Sr. Did you discuss with anyone what was in that letter? I did. There was no point in lying about that one. Have you had the letter tested? How do you know it was accurate or authentic? How do you know that Highlander himself actually wrote it? I didn't. But watching Mrs. Cudabiste's reaction to the letter and the handwriting, I'm pretty sure it was authentic. Major Smith stood up and started to pace. Garvey continued. And the letter has been destroyed? The bog took care of it. It was in my jacket pocket. I pulled out another envelope and smacked it down on the table. It was covered in ick, that there was no way for them to know that the paperwork was just my itinerary for a trip to New Orleans to visit my brother. Major Smith wrinkled. Throw the rest of that away! But it's evidence, sir! I replied. No! It's garbage! There's no way we can fix that mush! He pointed toward the garbage can. I stood up and threw the envelope away. Major Smith looked at me. Captain Chambers, I was against your appointment as captain and the head of the precinct, but you have been exemplary in your service. Thank you, sir, I responded, knowing that he was full of shit. It's because of this service that we'll be putting you on light duty due to your injury. You will be put on administrative duty for the next six months and put on probation. If you break that probation for any reason, you will be disciplined to the fullest extent of our policies. Do you understand? I looked him dead in the eyes, knowing full well I was going to break every rule I could to bring them down. I understand. Garvey leaned back into his chair. Now that we have that out of the way, there's the matter of Detective Cole Jackson. I turned toward him. What of him? I got his badge and gun. He's on admin leave. He 
pull down another file folder and find a way. Cole Jackson has an impeccable record with Baltimore police. Vernon Slade was the top of his class from the academy, but from my records it seems that Detective Slade's extracurricular activities were not as, um, <clears throat> uh, exemplary. His personal life was not my concern until it became a hindrance to his performance. And this performance, did it include the sexual affair of Cole Jackson's fiancée, Cheryl and Greenway? Cole told me that didn't happen, I responded. And you believed him? Garvey replied, as if I was a kid trying to rationalize that Santa Claus was real. Why wouldn't I? He's never lied to me before. Major Smith pulled out a tablet and tapped in some information. This feed is from the security footage in Jackson's apartment building. You can see for yourself! He placed the tablet before me on the table and I leaned down to see it and pressed play. I saw Slade show up at the apartment and knock on the door. The door opened and a light-skinned black woman walked out of the apartment in a sexy bra and panties and pulled Slade in. While this was salacious, there were more questions than answers. All they gave me was speculation. That's why I'm a better detective than they are. How do you know this is Sherilyn Greenway? I've never met her before. From what Cole said, she had her own apartment. And besides, all of the apartment doors are scrunched together. This might be a next-door neighbor. Just watch closely, Major Smith said in a very confident tone. That gave me concern. Several hours passed, and Slade came out of the apartment with the same woman, this time dressed in a sleek, silky robe, who kissed him. He walked out the other end of the corridor, and several minutes later, Cole Jackson walked into the apartment complex. He was dressed in his tennis gear and walked to the same apartment. He opened it up and walked inside. I put my hands to my head. I knew this was how they were going to get me away from investigating Kudaviste. They knew that I had to investigate this as priority. Cole was a friend, but now his story is completely in question. Can I have a copy of this video? I asked. I can send it to your email, Captain. It will be available for your investigation, which I suggest you start on immediately. I walked out of the meeting, well, kind of stumbled out with my crush. The temperature rose a bit, so the sidewalk was just wet and not slippery. I'm not happy. Since Jackson was put on administrative leave, I had to go and meet him personally. on his door. A woman opened up. She was white and had red hair. Uh, can I help you? Is... is Cole Jackson in? One moment. Come in, please. Please have a seat. I meandered my way into his apartment. In all of the years I had known Cole, I'd never been in his apartment before. I guess that's expected with co-workers. Cole walked out of another room. 
He was dressed in a t-shirt and a pair of comfortable sweatpants. He took one look at my leg and his eyes widened. Holy... Oh, man... Captain! What happened to your leg? Oh, we need to talk. He nodded his head before addressing the woman next to him. Oh, my manners. Captain, I would like you to meet my fiance, Sherry. Sherilyn Greenway, I asked. She looked nothing like the woman on the video. In fact, this little situation just got a lot worse and a lot more confusing. Cole, we have a lot to talk about. In the cast you heard, Dan Mac McCloskey, Justin Gregory, Danny Atwell, Robert Hunter, Ferd Berfel, and Miguel Pedroza. A Tula Monde by Megadeth. Effects by Zapsplat.com. Copyright Dark Charm Media 2022, all rights reserved.